Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Why? Because on one holy night thousands of years ago, the Savior of the world was born. On one holy night, the God of creation became part of his creation. On one holy night, the Prince of Peace arrived and changed everything. Tonight, as we anticipate this year's Christmas, we're going to finish our study of the world's most, the, the most world-changing nicknames given in all of history. We've been spending the last four Sundays studying these titles given to Jesus out of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. And tonight, we read that passage one final time as we meditate on and reflect on the final description of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I want to read the text and then we'll dive right in. If you're able, uh, you can follow along in your Bible. We'll have it up on the screen, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Here's our passage for tonight. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word for us tonight. The promised savior of the world was promised centuries before he was born, not just as someone who would save, but as someone who would be all of these realities to us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, who who would work wonders and enter our pain with supernatural healing, who had power and would use that power righteously to make things right who would forever treat us not as servants in a kingdom, but as children in a family. And now, at the end of this description, he is promised to us as someone who will bring peace, who has the authority to bring peace, to end all wars between nations, to to end the daily wars we have between us and others, and most of all, above all, to end the war we've been fighting with God since the early days of creation. The prince who will bring peace. This Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of that promise. We we celebrate and we wait with hope because Christmas is just the beginning of the peace that he brought. The beginning of God making everything right again. The beginning of the end of sin and death, of the evil and brokenness of our world. It It is the sunrise of another kind of kingdom that will restore and remake everything into all that we have been celebrating this Advent, when hope will be fulfilled, when joy will overflow, when love will be unending, and peace will be complete within all of creation and with God. Tonight, as we celebrate Christ's first coming and hold on to the hope of his second coming, I want us to meditate for a little bit. We're not going to go as long as we normally do on a Sunday morning. But I want us to meditate on this one statement that I I hope grounds our celebration this season in Christ. Here's that statement. Christmas is when the Prince of Peace entered our anxiety and embodied peace. Christmas is when this promised Savior, described as the Prince of Peace, 
did not just offer us a, a, a cure for worry and suffering and pain, but actually entered into our anxiety. And in the midst of the spiral of what ifs and the fixations of worst case scenarios, loved us as the true embodiment of peace. This is the story of a God who desired peace with us so much that he actually did something about it. Tonight, we're going to spend our time looking at each part of that statement really quickly as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ and meditate on Jesus, our Prince of Peace. So let me begin by focusing on that title, Prince of Peace. What is peace? And, and who exactly is this Jesus that we're calling Prince of Peace? Why does this promise matter to us, for us here and now? Well, look at Isaiah 9, 6 again. A child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to be called all these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you see the contrast in this verse? A, a, a child, a son, is given to be the Savior, a, a, a little one. Not some mighty warrior picked out of some strongman contest. Not some wise teacher picked out for their many books, not some strategic commander picked out for their military accomplishments, but a child, a son, a promised one, a, a, a tiny baby boy that will one day lie in a manger because there was no room in the inn for an at-home birth. So instead, he had to have an in-stable birth, and he led an unstable life, a life of poverty. In his very first few years, he was marked with refugee status as he left his hometown and had to flee an empire that was bent on destroying him. This is the one that was promised way back in Isaiah. And from the outside looking in, in his life, it doesn't have the marks of someone who will save, but someone who looks more like he needs to be saved. And yet, this prophecy helps us keep our heads on straight and our hearts pointed in the right direction. Because this is the one that is promised not just as a child, but as a king who will rule and reign as a supernatural wonder-working counselor, knowing the right thing to say and do for our broken human condition, who is mighty and powerful, not just as a human who can bench over 400 pounds, but who has the power to protect us, to protect his people from everything that is trying to destroy us, including our own distorted hearts, who is not temporary but eternal, and not just as a king forever, but as a father forever. A, a king who, who protects and defends and cares for his kingdom. Not as, as constituents or, or subjects, but as a family. Who promises to bring true and life-giving peace. That's who this Jesus called Prince of Peace is. A baby born in a manger into a situation that from our limited point of view does not look like the savior we expect, but who lived the life as the Savior we need, perfectly aligned with God, who died his death as the Savior we were desperate for, taking our place and our punishment for our sin. This is the prince. But what about the peace that he brings? Is it like uh, uh, Pax Romana, the peace that's uh, celebrated by the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus, a an imperial kind of peace that, that is supported only by violence and, and military power squashing any threat of any uprising? Or is it a peace like the, uh, the Christmas truce of 1914 and World War I where, where soldiers on all sides called a, a ceasefire for Christmas week? Something that was beautiful and extraordinary but was only temporary. What kind of peace does this Prince of Peace promise us? 
Well, much like our understanding of the word peace, the Bible actually contrasts that word peace with the word war. But if we look closely at how the Bible defines that word peace, it becomes clear that peace is more than just the opposite of war. Peace is not just the absence of war, but it is active harmony with God and with other people. Peace is freedom from anxiety, from what keeps us up at night and turns our stomachs every time we think about it. From the the spiraling down in our thoughts and our emotions of what if this happens to me or to us or to them. Peace is being who God made us to be. Whole and healthy and trusting in the God who made us and invites us into his family. Peace is being truly human. No longer distorted by sin, but repaired at the deepest level by the God who wanted peace with us so much that he did something about it. He became human to save us. The Prince of Peace came to accomplish peace for us once and for all. And he did it by actually entering into that which took our peace. By entering this world and our suffering and our pain. The Bible goes so far as to say that he became sin for us. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is when the Prince of Peace entered our anxiety. When he he invaded creation and started undoing the war that, that, that we began by our sin. When he began to put an end to the war that we started. And he did it by actually entering into that war. Not some external war with military strategies, but the war that humanity has been raging against its creator since the very first few pages of the Bible. You see, the war that we've been raging with each other, the war that we've been, has marked us with the anxiety of sin. To show you what I mean, I want to re-enter a scene that we just read earlier in our service from Luke 2. And see what this invasion of creation by the peace, the Prince of Peace, looked like. And hear the peace that's actually proclaimed at his birth. So our scene is in Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And I have it up on the screen. And it starts like this. These shepherds living out in the field nearby, they're keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so I want us to enter into that scene and to look around and to look up and see the stars that litter the night sky. To look around and feel the darkness that feels like it's, it's swallowing you up. Watch the shepherds as they're trading night watches, trying to make sure that a hungry bear or a a stealthy lion doesn't sneak a midnight snack. These blue-collar workers who are not part of the, uh, the religious elite or the socially powerful in Israel at this time. These normal guys doing their job and providing for their families on the night shift, trying their best to stay awake. Everything is still. You know how it gets at night, when all the sounds of the night fill the air and it feels like everything is is calm and it's peaceful. And then out of nowhere, the stillness of the night gets overwhelmed by the chaos of light. And we read this in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. The deep darkness has been chased away by light that seems to swallow them whole now. Some some otherworldly creature has has come up and and they can't even uh, scream. They're they're scrambling to cover and protect their sheep in terror. And they're frozen in place while their minds are trying to figure out an escape route. When the angel says, do not be afraid. It's all right. Settle down, breathe. Breathe. The shepherds take deep breaths as their hearts finally get back to normal speed. They're nervous, but they're settled, and so they're listening to this angel who tells them, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, 
the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds think to themselves, could this really be true? This angel, this messenger of God is telling us that the promised one that we've been waiting for, the king, the savior, the the Messiah, the one God promised to send us to save us is here. Not just on the way, but already here. Why is this good news for these shepherds? It's not just because of what they've been waiting for. It's also because of what they've been living in. You see, for years they have been living in that Pax Romana, under the imperial rule of Rome with peace promised, if you just let the Romans do what they want and dominate and assimilate everybody that they've conquered. This is good news because everything up until this point has been bad news after bad news. And they have been waiting for someone to free them. Little did they know that that freedom would go deeper and further than they could have ever imagined. The angelic messenger is suddenly joined by an angelic choir, too many to count. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The song of the angel, the song of these angels that matches the significance of this moment. True peace is coming for all those who enjoy his favor. Who God is pleased with. And how will that happen? Because of what Jesus has done by his life, death, and resurrection. But here at the beginning of the story, we are pointed toward the end through that word that we've been meditating on. Peace. This is not just some savior, some revolutionary leader, some important religious figure. This is the one that has been promised by God in Isaiah 9, 6, centuries ago. The one who would enter our anxiety who would not stand far away and, and hand out peace like some boss handing out Christmas bonuses, who would not stand far away like an extended family member sending gifts from across the country. This isn't a king who hands out solutions and, and treatment plans over the phone or through telemedicine. This is a king who steps right into the problem of sin, the uncertainty that our sin brings between us and God and each other, who, who enters our anxiety and is not only in it with us, but is in it as the prince of peace who by the end of his life will actually accomplish peace with God and with each other because he embodied peace in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Christmas is when the Prince of Peace not only entered our anxiety, but embodied peace for us. Peace that is not just a ceasefire, that is not just the absence of war, but is the active repair of what sin has broken and that our rebellion maintained, the destructive distance between us and God and us and each other. I want you to fast forward past the first Christmas when Jesus arrived to earth all the way to the beginning of the first Easter when Jesus arrives to the city that is about to crucify him. Before he enters that city, Luke shows us this scene in 19 verses 41 and 42. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he sees the city and he weeps over it. And he says this, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus is in tears over the cities that he knows very soon will be trying to kill him. And he's weeping because what they need in order to have the peace that they so desperately want is not at all what they think they need. If only you had known what would bring you peace, he whispers through tears streaming down his face. If only you knew, but right now you can't see it. Soon enough they would see it. Because Christmas is always aimed directly at Easter. That was always the goal of Christmas. And what would bring them peace, what brings us peace, is not pretending that the problem of sin doesn't exist. It's not redefining the boundaries of sin so that we feel less guilty. 
It's not even trying to make up for all the damage that our sin has done so that we kind of balance the scales. The only thing that will bring us peace is a Savior who comes to repair what sin broke, give back what sin stole, and resurrect what sin killed. A Savior who comes to kill what started this war in the first place. And the only way to do that is to take the punishment of sin in our place. To die for us and take away the only power that sin has over us, death. This is the good news. This is what we call the gospel. This is why we can say that the gospel is the good news of peace. Because Jesus accomplished the peace we so desperately wanted by being what we actually needed, a substitute. Someone who took our place in death, paying the price for our sin. This is the good news of Christmas. The peace proclaimed at his birth points us to the peace that's accomplished at his death. This is why Ephesians 2 says he himself is our peace. Jesus is not just someone who gives out peace, but who embodies peace and enters our anxiety so that he might accomplish peace. This is the one he, Ephesians 2 tells us, made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law within its commands and its, its regulations, his purpose, this is the purpose of Christmas, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. His purpose at Christmas and throughout his life and at Easter was to destroy the barrier that sin had built, not just by calling a ceasefire, but by making something brand new. A new kind of humanity, a, a new family that was united not by a shared language or, or a geography or, or a culture, but united in Christ, united by belief and trust in Jesus. It's in this way that all broken relationships are repaired for those who believe. The relationship broken between humans was reconstructed by the Prince of Peace. The relation, bro relationship broken between us and God was completely repaired and set right by the Prince of Peace. This gospel is not just good news that we need to understand, but good news we need to believe. In Ephesians, this passage ends like this. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The Prince of Peace preached the gospel of peace to us. The good news of repaired relationship and restored humanity, of, of harmony between God and those who believe and who he now calls children. Because Jesus on the cross and by his death made actual peace between God and us and with us and each other. But peace doesn't stay where it's not received. Tonight, as we anticipate our celebration of Christmas and before we take a minute to pray, I want to invite you to reflect on that thought. To put it another way, do you believe? Do you believe that the Prince of Peace has entered our anxiety, what drives us to worry and fear, not just the things of this world, but eternal and spiritual reality of our life without Christ? That he embodies peace in that anxiety. Peace with God and with each other. Peace does not stay where peace is not received. And so this evening, Jesus offers peace to all. But we all need to humble ourselves and believe and trust him to save us. If you don't believe, the call of Jesus is to come to him tonight. To, to this Christmas, to take a step closer to him tonight. But if you do believe... The question's a little bit different. This Christmas, the question is, how will you inhabit the peace that he offers in his gospel? Do you trust that he has truly saved you and that you don't have to worry about making sure you make it worth his while because it already is? Do you trust him for the salvation of your loved ones? 
not believing you are their savior, anxious about their eternity, but instead trusting in Jesus to do his work in and through you, in and to them, because he loves them more than you ever could. This Christmas, the question is how we will all believe and live out the truth that Christmas is when Jesus entered our anxiety and embodied peace for us. From the first Christmas until his second coming, when he returns to make everything right again. Let's pray together. Prince of Peace, tonight we pray out of gratitude. Thank, thankful that you came to save us and give us peace. Tonight we pray that you would help us understand that peace and embrace it in our lives, that we might reflect it in the lives of others. Would you make our church familia into a bright display of your peace? This Christmas, would you fill our hearts with the joy of your first coming as well as the hope of your second coming? Jesus, we trust that you will come back and make everything right again. But until then, would you help us to be faithful and to hold on by your spirit to your gospel? We pray all these things in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand one more time, please. And let's respond to the Lord and to his word. The coming of this Prince of Peace has come and come at his feet the manger the prince of peace comes to save us oh come let us adore oh come let us adore oh come let us Time will come. Oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, let us adore. Him Christ, He alone is worth for you. Jesus, you alone are worthy. For you alone are worthy. For you alone are worthy. Christ the Lord. We'll praise your name forever. We'll praise your name forever. We'll your name forever we'll praise your name forever Christ the Lord keep thinking of those words we'll praise your name forever because what we celebrate tonight are our desire is that what we sing and proclaim and declare tonight will extend all over through the year, correct? That the Jesus coming and saving us, bringing this peace into our anxiety, will last longer, not just for tonight, 
not until all the presents are open, not until we finish with all the delicious food that we were going to eat, either it's turkey or tamales or whatever. But this is our desire. Uh, I was not, not going to say this, but I, I want to say it because when, when, when we were singing on Night Divine, you know, it's dangerous when you sing a song that you love, but it's very hard. Can you lose it quickly? But it's even more dangerous when you know, or some of you, and you know the hard times that you're going through the year, and then you lift your hands to Christ the Lord, it's even easier to lose it because that's the reason why the Prince of Peace came. To save us in our brokenness, to save us in our weakness, we couldn't save ourselves. And we will not be able to save ourselves the rest of the year. But we're not thinking about presents and Christmas trees. But when Christ is still the Prince of Peace for your life, for your family, for my life, for my family. That's why we're seeing this together. We'll give you all the glory. Jesus, Prince of Peace. Can you say in your own words, Jesus, we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. You're Christ the Lord. You're the Prince of Peace. We'll give you all the glory. Oh, we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. Christ. Can we sing it one more time? We'll give you all the glory. 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 Christ the Lord. Just with our voices, so come. you might come and adore the Jesus who came, not just as a baby, but as a king and as a savior. Why don't you take a seat for a minute? This Christmas, we worship Jesus, who in John 1, 9 is described as the true light that gives light to everybody. Here at, at TBC, as we close our service, we like to finish our Christmas Eve celebrations with candlelight and with the familiar song, Silent Night. So in just a minute, we're going to sing that song together. And you should have received an electric candle on your way in. At TVC, we use electric candles out of respect for the building that we're renting instead of open flames. As we start singing, I'm going to invite you to turn your candles on in that first verse. But then after we close, I'm going to ask you to please return the candles at the end on the way out. But doing things like this, lighting candles, lighting the Christ candle, even singing Silent Night, these, these rhythms, they become rhythms that, that during Christmas, they re-engage us with the story of Jesus. They, they, they remind us of the gospel at Christmas. 
You see, Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so tonight we light candles and sing as a reminder and a celebration that the light of God has entered this world. We also light these candles because later in Ephesians, the Bible actually calls us and tells us to live as children of the light. And so we light these candles as a reminder of who Jesus has saved us to be. And so as we sing, and as we remember the true story of Christmas, as we light our candles during this first verse and then raise them during the final verse, my prayer is that you would remember the good news of Jesus Christ. That good news that lights the way back to God for each and every one of us. That you would remember that none of us are too far gone to be saved and that all of us need the love, the joy, the grace, the mercy of God this Christmas. I'm going to invite you to light your candles and let's sing this song together. <laughs> 